Paranormal Investigations Hawaii from the case files of Harry Wong, Paranormal Investigator. Season 1, Episode 8, The Phantom of the Iao Theater. Ever since my older cousins dragged my underage Okole to go watch The Exorcist at the Waikiki Theater as a keiki, a part of me has always associated the cinema with fear. The normal response to fear is anxiety and panic to run away screaming like a baby. But for me, being the weird kid that I was, I had found my drug of choice. After that film, I couldn't get enough of scary movies, haunted houses, and of course, my favorite holiday became Halloween, which naturally led to my profession as a paranormal investigator. So, it was fitting that my current case has me investigating the Phantom of the Iao Theater. The historic Iao Theater on the island of Maui was built in 1928 and over time has featured everything from movies, concerts, musicals, and plays. It currently hosts a theater company whose members have reported mysterious occurrences in and around the stage, backstage, and dressing rooms. With such a long history and varied past, there were bound to be malevolent energies and spirits that wove their way into the very fabric of the theater, and I was determined to find out who or what they were and more importantly, how the heck to get rid of them. It took me 45 minutes to fly into Kahului Airport, less time than driving through Honolulu rush hour traffic. From there, it was a quick 20-minute drive to the Iao Theater in Wailuku, where I met Eric Tellus, the stage manager who hired me. Aloha, Harry. Mahalos for flying over on short notice, Ah, uh, but... Yeah, I really need to get this resolved before opening night of our latest musical, Imelda, The Life and Times of Imelda Marcos, featuring musical numbers like Please Cry For Me, Filipinos, and The Shoe Must Go On. We sold so many tickets, we cannot cancel the shoe, I mean, I mean the show without going bankrupt. No worries, I'm gonna fix this for you. Now, tell me more about what's been going on here. Well... For the past several decades, a friendly ghost has haunted the theater, a spirit named Emma. She may have been an actress when the theater was first built in the 20s and died under mysterious circumstances. Despite having a ghost light on stage to keep away spirits, a theater tradition, Emma still showed up regularly, but her presence had always been friendly and playful, you know, like a prankster. She switched costumes around between actors, hid props, turned lights on and off, you know, just color him mischief. You could tell when she was around by the smell of picacchia flowers, like someone left picacchia lays around, and then you might feel a slight chill and see a pale floating apparition when she passed by, causing the ghost light to flicker. But recently, this activity has escalated and taken on a sinister tone. A lighting truss bar fell onto the stage, nearly injuring the cast. Fake prop weapons were switched with real weapons. And last night, the ghost light bulb exploded, showering the stage with broken glass. 
the smell of pikaki was replaced by the smell of rotting meat, followed by the appearance of a dark apparition, just barely perceptible out of the corner of the eye. An apparition which looked vaguely like a man wearing a hat. Some of us who saw the apparition immediately felt a crippling catatonic fear and had to be taken to the ER. I've never felt anything like this before. This was a fear that would have driven me insane if I didn't receive immediate medical attention. I need your help, Harry. Tell me you can get rid of this, this grotesquery. Uh, what's a gross query? Oh, never mind. Hey, thanks, Eric. I'll take it from here. I'm going to check a few things and come back with a plan of attack. Meet me back here tonight at 9 p.m. sharp tonight. You got it. I will see you then. First, I needed some coffee to pump the brain cells up to 11. I found a place close by called Java Lava and ordered a large double espresso. Just the smell of that cup alone was like an adrenaline shot right into my cerebral cortex. I plopped myself down onto one of the comfy recliners and connected to the free Wi-Fi. I needed to do some research, but didn't have access to the Necropedia anymore. You know, the so-called Paranormal Investigators Database. This database was maintained by the Order of the Temple of the Sacred and Magnificent Mysteries of Earth, Air, Fire, and Water, or O-O-T-T-O-T-S-A-M-M-O-E-A-F-A-W, for short who had the audacity to cancel my membership for questioning some of their arcane practices, like wet robe contests and magical incantation rap battles. Or maybe it was because I stopped paying the membership fee. Anyways, I had to rely on the old standby, Google. I did a quick Google search for haunted theaters and found a podcast episode titled The Sunset Theater from the podcast Nightmare on Dream Street. I listened intently to the episode which featured a chilling tale of losing a girlfriend and being trapped in a theater of horror. Who wrote this? Was this experience real? I had to find out the truth which might help me solve my own haunted theater mystery. I searched for a contact on the website NightmareDreamST.com and found information on the podcast creator whose name was Gunner. I shot off a quick email and to my surprise, he responded within minutes and was available right away. So we put together a quick impromptu Zoom call. Hey, aloha Gunner. My name is Harry Wong, paranormal investigator. Thank you for your help on this. I'm investigating reports of ghostly activity in a local theater and ran across your podcast episode, The Sunset Theater. I'm trying to find out if your experience could give me some insight into my theater haunting to see if there's anything in common. Can you tell me a bit about The Sunset Theater? Um, the Sunset Theater was a, uh, a night terror I had several weeks ago. That is the inspiration to my work in my podcast um, is Lucid Night Terrors that I've experienced since I was eight years old. The Sunset Theater, um, I assume it was based off of, in, in my subconscious, it was based off of a, a local one screen theater called the Sun Theater um, here in my hometown. And uh, my subconscious just changed that. 
uh, and then putting in all of the other things I experience in my, my dreams. Tell me a little bit about yourself and anyone else involved with your podcast. How did your podcast start? What gave you the idea for it? Currently, it is myself um, and my wife. Uh, I So I have been keeping dream journals uh, since I was about 12. And then I do a lot of writing. And then I one day had the idea to take all of my, my night terrors that I turn into short stories and start turning them into podcast episodes. And now I, I do that. We're, I'm currently, um, I'm still newer to it, but I'm currently on episode 16. And then my wife helps me uh, with some of the story and the inspiration and some of the artwork that we do for the show. Some people think that nightmares are a portal to the netherworld, which connects the living and the dead. So understanding them might give me a clue to my case. Do you think your nightmares have any meaning? That's definitely something that um, I've delved into quite a bit over the years. Uh, we, my, my wife and I, we talk. Um, we started talking at the end of each story on each episode. Uh, we began talking in depth. She prepares questions for me. Uh, a little more in depth for each one each week. Um, and I've done you know, research and talked to uh, different sleep therapists, sleep psychologists, uh, read, read up quite a bit on the matter. There definitely is some, uh, there are some similarities or some common themes with some of them, that, but then other times it will just take a complete right turn and be something completely different. There's never, you know, let's say like there's never a red car in every one of them. For example, there's never um, a light that is green every time. Uh, there's never similarities to um, any of them, like small details that can tell you you're dreaming. And because I'm a lucid dreamer, everything feels real. I can smell things. I can feel things. Um you know, it, so it's, it's once I wake up the day after, it's not really a dream. It's, they feel more like memories, which makes it a bit more difficult. Do you know why you have them? Um, no, I was, I was, I started having them when I was, uh, when I was about eight years old and my mother didn't really know what to do. Uh, so she did what any parent would do in the nineties. Um, I mean, she thought maybe it was movies I was watching or, you know, things I was playing with or, you know, books or comic books were too violent. And she thought it was, you know, maybe things like that. Um, but then it turned out to be more where um, she finally took, she took me to a counselor. She took me to psychiatrists. And then uh, my pediatrician actually is the one that said to her that it was probably night terrors or some type of sleep disorder. Um, and then we went several hours away to a sleep study, um, a Catholic place. And then they diagnosed me with uh, uh, chronic night terrors. Um, I was nine at this point. And then also lucid dreaming. Um, that's That's been a, a thing I've also experienced. And they got so bad when I was younger, when I was just a kid. Uh, she I ended up having to stay in my room every night for a year 
um, just until I could fall asleep. Um, otherwise, I couldn't just because I was too scared. Do you think they're trying to tell you something or lead you into a certain direction? It definitely feels that way a lot of the times. Um, there is other ones. Uh, some of them are, are episodes right now where uh, there's doorways that are closed. Uh, that it seems it's trying to lead me to the doorway, but then uh, maybe they're locked or... Uh, so other times there will be usually it's water or mirrors um, that something is coming out of them that then for some reason when I'm in the middle of the dream then I don't think to go back and try to go through the water or the mirrors um, you know there, then there's other dreams where sometimes they will something will happen where it's kind of forcing me to or something is pushing me something is chasing me to go to a certain direction um but when it's it's very weird when we're in the middle of dreams like that you don't think it's kind of like watching a horror movie where you think you know and you're yelling at the tv don't go upstairs why would you go upstairs when someone's chasing you but they do it anyway are there any other nightmares you've had that might help me understand what i'm dealing with definitely something i could recommend um, uh, you can give a listen or I can, uh, share you with you some of the, the written, uh, s- stories for, um, but ever since I was a child, uh, I have been not haunted. Haunted is kind of a, a, a wrong or loaded word. I have been affected by a entity that I call the whisper man. Um, and he has been around for about about 20 years, a little over 20 years now. Um, I still see him frequently in my dreams. He pops up out of nowhere. He has changed a little bit over uh, the past 20 some years, his appearance. Uh, but he is always there. Uh, but he is the way he comes in and out in my dreams it is more of not necessarily a human being it is more of a entity that is able to pop in and out of realities or dimensions so it's he has kind of that um you know you can look at a tree and then all of a sudden he just walks out from behind the tree but the tree is smaller than he is so there's kind of that that interdimensional entry that he is able to do. Do you think this is the entity that created the Sunset Theater nightmare for you? Or could it be some other entity that might be more specific to the theater itself? That is something that I have tried to grasp a bit more since I had that that one and wrote that story. Um, It could be both. Um, we still continue to go to the Sunset Theater every now and again. And I have known the owners for uh, 15 plus years. I have never witnessed anything at the, at the Sun Theater uh, that we go to. However, it, it could also be the Whisper Man trying to take memories that I have that are pure 
and to make them unpure. That has been very helpful as I'm trying to determine what has been haunting the EL theater, whether it was a specific occurrence that happened in the past or some kind of outside entity that may be attached to someone that has something to do with the theater. Well, thank you for your help. This has been very eye-opening. Do you have any last advice for me? Um, my advice would be to, um, you know, for the Whisper Man, uh, I would also look into, he, he goes by many names. Um, most commonly, he is known as the Hat Man. Um, that is something that I have read into explicitly and very deeply. Um, however, my version of the Hat Man is is vastly different. Uh, so the Hat Man is something I'm, I would definitely look into, and then also I would definitely look into the theater you're looking into currently and investigating. I would definitely look into the archives and see if there was any tragedy that had occurred at that that exact theater. Um, maybe if you did find that there was someone that passed away unexpectedly, if there was a tragedy there, maybe look into and asking some of the families if they'd be willing to speak with you. Any any extra information that's more personal level can give you uh, just the smallest nudge in the right direction. Mahalo Gunner, your podcast, Nightmare on Dream Street, especially the episode, The Sunset Theater, has given me some good leads to follow. Best of luck with your future nightmares. Thank you very much. I disconnected the Zoom call and closed the shutter on my camera lens. I always made sure I did that ever since the last time I didn't. I was caught with my pinky halfway up my nose trying to dig for that last booger. You know, that small one that never seems to come out. No matter how much you dig and dig and dig. You know what I mean. Anyways... Well, what the fudge nuggets? The description of the hat man matched the theater apparition exactly. But what was this creature? In the dark recesses of my adult mind, I recalled attending a dead talk a few years ago given by the eminent psychic researcher and podiatrist Dr. Louis Amour, who speculated on the existence of so-called shadow people. These shadow people were dark, vaguely human-like phantoms who moved in jerky motions on the edges of visibility. More people have seen them than has been reported, but these encounters were usually written off as a trick of the light or a figment of the imagination. I needed more information. I needed to talk directly with Dr. Armoire. He was a fellow of the French Psychic Institute and Podiatry School. I looked him up on their website and wrote down the number that was listed in his profile. I was just about to call him when the barista came over with a tired, weary look in her eyes. Hey, it's seven o'clock. I'm closing. You know gotta hell it on home, but you know can stay here. What? Already? Hey, I gotta make one more call. No can already. I gotta go home, call Christ. Uh, alright. Can I keep using your Wi-Fi outside? Okay, but no look at dirty pictures, okay, Abra? You don't have to worry about that. I'm married to my work, which involves looking at dead things. Uh, 
That didn't come out right. I left the barista staring at me with a puzzled look and went outside to call Dr. Armoire. Hello? Who is this calling at this ungodly hour? Hello, Dr. Armour. My name is Harry Wong, paranormal investigator. We met at last year's dead talk in Brussels. I complimented you on your beret and baguettes after your talk. Remember? Ah, oui, oui. I'll remember you now. You have a, how you say, a fat ass, no? Yes, that's me. What is it the freak you want from me at this hour, s'il vous plaît? Your lecture discussed the shadow people. I believe one of these beings is terrorizing a local theater here in Maui. You live on Maui? Beautiful place. I will shock a visit. Are you friends with the uh, magnum of the P.I.? I love T.C. He's so funny. Ha 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 ha. Doctor, please. I need your help before the hat man cause any more havoc at the E.L. theater. Ah, uh, je suis désolé. I am so sorry. Well, as you might remember from my dead talk... Shadow people belong to the class of ancient primordial beings who fed on strong emotions. They fed on the fear and trauma of their victims, whether human or supernatural, draining all of their energy until they were left dried, empty, hollow husks. And the most powerful of them, a tall, dark man, who was the personification of dread and despair, is Loam or Chapeau. The Atman. Yes, my client has reported the presence of a shadow entity who looked like a tall, thin man wearing a trench coat and a hat. That is him. Tell me, when did he show up? What has he done? I relate to Dr. Armoire everything that the stage manager Eric told me about the hat man. Ah, oui, oui. It is the same story as told to me by other victims. But how do we get rid of him? I have a theory, but I have not tested this. I believe that the shadow people, and by extension, the Atman, come from another world, the shadow dimension, and travel between worlds through mirrors. That is why sometimes, when you look directly at them, they seem to disappear, because they will hide in the nearest mirror, but they can only stay in our world for so long before they have to go back to their world, or else they will suffocate and die. Like how eels can only stay out of the water for a limited amount of time. So, if you break all the mirrors in the theater, the Atman will be trapped and will die. But I thought breaking mirrors was bad luck. Aha, that is a myth propagated by these entities who travel through mirrors. Got it. Mahalo, Dr. Amwa. I need to get to the theater ASAP. I hope this plan works. Motion, Monsieur Blancou. Au revoir. Wait, did he just say good luck, Mr. Big Butt? Oh well, I hung up and quickly rushed over to the theater to meet Eric. I arrived at the Eau Theater a few minutes after 9 p.m. Eric was nowhere to be found, but the theater door was open. I went inside and called out to him. Eric! No answer. A sense of unease grew at the base of my spine. I ignored it. I made my way backstage and called out to him again. Eric, will you stay, you fucker? Nothing. Then, a loud thump came from the direction of the dressing room. I crept cautiously toward the dressing room door as the thumping continued and intensified. 
Then I felt a literal chill pass through me and smelled the faintest scent of pikake, which was quickly overpowered by the foul stench of rotten meat. A sense of unease now crept up my spine as if a snake was chasing after its prey. I reached the door, braced myself for anything, then entered the dressing room. Eric lay on the dressing room floor in front of me. His eyes were open, but his pupils were unfocused as if he were in a trance. His face was contorted in a rictus of terror, his mouth caught in between a silent scream and an occasional soft, pitiful groan of, No! His arms and legs thrashed violently as if he were having a seizure. That was the thumping sound. He looked like he was trying to get away from something that tormented him. I tried to shake him, tried to wake him from this nightmare, but the trance was too strong. My efforts had no effect. Suddenly, he stopped moving and all the color drained from his face. It was like an old CRT TV set where you could adjust the settings to go from color to black and white. His temperature went from normal to ice cold in the blink of an eye. I had to let go of him before my flesh also froze. But it wasn't just Eric. The room grew cold as if a winter storm had just landed in the middle of Maui. Frost appeared on the ceiling, on the walls, and on the mirrors. Then, an icy finger brushed the back of my neck, and I felt a chill seep deep down inside me, into my skin, my bones, then into my very soul. I fell down onto my back, paralyzed with a crippling dread I had never known before. A black figure moved just out of the corner of my vision. His face was a dark mass of scars. His eyes held pupils of burning flame. His lips locked into a deathless grin that looked like it was carved with a knife. The hat man stood before me in all of his awe and horror. My will to live, to fight back, was frozen with the rest of my body as I grew weaker and weaker. Maybe if I just gave in, just lay down and slept, maybe then this would all go away. I closed my eyes and started to drift off. I knew that the hat man was sucking my life away, but I didn't have the strength to resist. Then, from somewhere deep inside, I heard the voice of Dr. Armoire call out to me. You idiot! Break the mirrors! Break the mirrors! I fought to wake up out of my frozen stupor, determined to get that awful voice out of my head. I opened my eyes. The dressing room was a winter nightmare covered over with icicles and frost. I battled against the paralysis and with great effort I managed to stand up. Three portrait mirrors hung on the walls facing the makeup tables, and one full-length mirror hung across the room. I picked up one of the floor lamps, ripped off the lampshade, and made like I was Babe Ruth and swung for the fences to smash the first portrait mirror, which shattered with a dull crash, spraying broken glass everywhere. I smashed the second and third portrait mirrors the same way. Hey, this wasn't so bad. I was pumped now to finish the job. 
Come on, you rotten meat smelling, ugly hat wearing douche noggin. Is that the best you got? Uh oh. In my adrenaline feud rush, I just broke rule number one of the paranormal investigator's handbook. Do not taunt the evil dead things. It never ended well when the evil dead things got riled up beyond their normal state of riling, that is. I started hesitantly across the room toward the last mirror, alert for anything the hat man was going to throw at me, when suddenly an icy hand grabbed my legs and pulled me to the ground. I hit my head with a thump, and not only did I see stars, the whole damn Big Bang itself went off in my head. I tried to shake off the fog to get back up, but my legs weren't having it. They were taking the rest of the night off. I wasn't going to let that stop me. I crawled slowly and painfully over to the last mirror, and just as I was about to bring the lamp down to smash it, a frigid arctic wind blew me over onto my back and threw the lamp across the room beyond my reach. The hat man knew he would be trapped here to die if I broke the last mirror. He was doing everything in his power to stop me. I attempted to get up, but something heavy fell on top of me, pinning me to the ground. A pair of icy hands then wrapped around my throat, cutting off my air supply. Blinking tears out of my eyes as I choked for breath, I squinted above me and saw a dark figure at the periphery of my vision. It was the hat man. He knelt on top of me, his face fixed into a chilling death grin as he tried to squeeze the life out of me. I reached up to grab his arms to pry them loose from my throat, but there was nothing to grab onto. There was only empty air where his arms should have been. I thrashed wildly, kicking my feet into the air just like Eric did earlier. Blackness engulfed me. My vision narrowed to thin slits of light. My arms and legs felt too heavy to move. I fell still and waited for the inevitable to arrive when a sound from the other side of the room caught my attention. The sound of motion, then impact, crashing, smashing. All of a sudden, the fog lifted from my head. The weight left my body. I woke as if from a nightmare. I sat up and saw Eric smashing the last mirror with a lamp. He hit it once, twice. It was tough, but a crack appeared along its length. He swung the lamp again, but before it landed, he was pulled by an invisible force like a puppet on a string. He flew across the room and hit the wall on the other side, narrowly missing me. I vaguely saw the dark shape of the hat man pounce on Eric. I had to act now while he was preoccupied. I raced across the room and grabbed the lamp and smashed it into the crack that had already formed. One more hit was all it took. The mirror exploded into a hundred tiny shards all over the room. I instinctively jumped for cover. One of the bigger fragments flew over my head and plunged into the hat man's back as he was about to strangle Eric. The hat man let out a blood-curdling scream that could have come from the depths of hell itself. His body melted into black, wispy ashes which floated up into the air and then disappeared. The ice storm stopped and an eerie silence fell on the room. The hat man was gone and I could swear I smelled the scent of Pikaki drifting past me as I helped Eric up out of the theater. 
that must mean Emma, the friendly ghost, was back. As they say in show business, the show must go on. The next morning, Eric, who was still recovering from the night before, went down to the theater with the cast to clean up the mess that was left in the wake of the hat man's reign of terror to make sure the theater was ready for opening night. They restored the dressing room the best they could, except I advised them not to replace the mirrors. At least not yet. They listened. That night, the opening of Imelda went off without a hitch. The cast received several standing ovations. Why, I nearly cried during the closing number. You must love Balut. I stopped by the rap party backstage to congratulate the cast before leaving for my red-eye flight back to Honolulu. I passed the dressing room on my way out of the theater and peeked into Marvel at the amazing job they did to clean it up just in time for opening night. Except for the missing mirrors, I couldn't tell anything unusual occurred there last night. I turned to leave when something caught my eye. A quick flash of light from behind one of the closets. A nagging voice in the back of my head told me to just leave it alone, to just go. But I couldn't. I cautiously made my way over to the closet. Something behind it was reflecting off the overhead light. I knelt down and reached into the gap behind it. I could just barely fit my arm between the closet and the wall. I felt around and touched something small with two round discs connected together. I pulled it out slowly. It was an old compact mirror case that must have fallen behind the closet decades ago. My heart leapt into my throat when I realized... The mirror was intact. We didn't break all the mirrors after all. Whether out of curiosity or out of compulsion, I didn't know, but I knew I had to look into the mirror. As I feared, it wasn't my face that looked back at me. It was a face with a dark mass of scars with eyes that held pupils of burning flame, a face with lips locked into a deathless grin that looked like it was carved with a knife, the face of a man wearing a hat. I smashed the mirror into the ground, but it was too late. The hat man had escaped. I had a sinking feeling this would not be the last time I would see him. And I was right. But that is a story for another day. You have been listening to Paranormal Investigations Hawaii from the case files of Harry Wong, Paranormal Investigator, a fictional podcast.